You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, if you haven't had the opportunity to stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and talk with a battery specialist, you need to do that because these guys are very knowledgeable about every kind of battery, hence the name Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera to your rangefinder, any battery that you need, these guys can help you find. Even if it's a specific, unique, one-off battery, these guys can help you find what you need. If you want to find out more information on Interstate Batteries, about their brand, about their history, about the company in general, and all the batteries they offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, with another episode, and I'm going to say it's another pretty good episode. Um, If there's one thing that is, I guess, a, uh, a standard here, or has been consistent over the last five episodes. It's been that the pod, the podcast, the episodes revolve around guys who are grinders who stuck out the entire season to get the job done. They've gotten busted multiple times, and they get right back at it. They go locate the buck again, and they get after him. Uh, they've missed shots. What do they do? They locate the buck again, and then they get after him. It's a theme here uh, for these these uh, first couple episodes of 2021, and if it just it just reiterates the fact that if you want to kill a big buck, you have to be consistent. And it doesn't need to be a quote unquote big buck. It can be the top tier of whatever state you live in or whatever area you live in, man. Um, but the message is clear. You got to work hard. You got to bust your ass. You got to grind. And even when you fail, you get back on your horse and you get after it again. And uh, that is the theme of these last couple episodes. And this episode is no different, right? We're going to be talking with return- returning guest. Tom Waters out of Kentucky, and um, I've had a, I've had a really good relationship with Tom throughout the years, and I, I love hearing from him and how his season goes every single year. Um, it's just one of those uh, those people that I, I look forward to chatting with every year, and fourth times the charm on his season because he messed up three different times, got busted. I think. I'd have to go back and listen, but I think he got busted twice and then goofed up another time. And uh, it all led ultimately to a December showdown with him and his target buck. And what do you know? He got the job done, not in November or October, but in December. And uh, it's one of those things where I got to just say it over and over again. Uh, You got to move. You got to be mobile. You got to, you got to always be thinking You, you have to be, um, if you want to hunt the upper echelon of deer in your area, you got to take upper echelon decision-making skills. You got to have um, a, a grind approach to it. And, and at sometimes you got to learn when to lay off and sometimes you got to be aggressive. And uh, man, this story about Tom's buck, it really is awesome. So, all right, commercial time. And... Um, I love the guys. I like I love the guys over at Wasp Broadheads. Um, 
I just love their approach. I mean, the first thing I, I, I base everything off two pillars, the, the network, my podcast, the pillar number one is if you don't, if I'm not having fun, I need to stop what I'm doing and go do something else because I sat in a cubicle for too many years, um, wishing I was doing something that was fun and, and rewarding. But so far in this journey, I've had fun every single day that I've done it, right? I love doing what I'm doing. Number two is prop up good people, interact with good, positive people. And one of the, uh, one of the, the people that I love talking with every single year is Fred Doherty. Um, he is one of the engineers over at, uh, he's helping run stuff at Wasp. He wears multiple hats at Wasp, but I love talking with him. And he, he and the company that he works for is a good representation of good people within the industry. And I love propping up and supporting companies that hire good people, that make good ethical business decisions, and that have, number number one, first and foremost, they have a badass broadhead. I'm talking a badass set of broadheads. Like this year when I, I used their mechanical jackhammers for most of the time, this upcoming year, if I decide to go elk hunting, I'm going to go back to a fixed blade, which will be the boss four blade. Just, I love those two heads, man. They have other heads that uh, get the job done as well. But dude, I'm telling you right now, just a, a badass company with badass people, uh, they're doing it the right way. And, um, when a company does it the right way and they, they have good people who work for them, it's easy for me to make a decision. And I I just love working with them, right? From a business standpoint, it's easier to work with good people who are like-minded and, and want to see the industry grow and want to see the community grow. And they want deer hunting to be around for a lot long, you know, a very long time. And that's why I love wasp, man. So if you want to find out more information about the company and their values, and their their uh, broadheads visit wasparchery.com and i got a new discount code for wasp uh, it's for 2021 and it's nine fingers 2021 so it's the number nine followed by fingers 2021 nine fingers 2021 you're going to save 20 percent off of your purchase uh, and that's a good deal man so stock up on broadheads now take advantage of that Get that, get that out of the way so you don't have to worry about it for the upcoming season. And, uh, man, I, fuck, I love the guys at Wasp. They're so cool. Other than that, that's the commercial. That's the intro. And let's get into today's whack em and stack em chess match, bra- uh, chess match uh, podcast with my homie, Tom Waters. In three, two, one... On the phone with me today, Mr. Tom Waters. Tom, what's up, man? Uh, just uh, really looking forward to talking to you. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing real good. Um, I've built these relationships throughout the years based off of people who have reached out to me through the podcasts. And you might be one of the first people to ever really reach out to me and start like an open line of communication. So it's always we've never we've met in person what one time i think that's right yeah at uh ata ata show and um we shook hands we exchanged pleasantries and i now i look forward to um you know hearing how your season goes every single year along with other guys who i've met the same way that i've met you and uh it's just you know not to brag or anything but the the sportsman's nation has really created this community of people that are you know it's like a secondary family and i just love hearing from those people and you know you being one of them so uh that's awesome well i appreciate it it's uh i can't speak for all the listeners but you kind of get that same feeling on this end too is, mm-hmm. you know you go through a season and you go through the highs and lows and you know not just with you but with some of the other guys on the sportsman's nation the land and legacy guys i mean if i ever got a chance to meet them it's you just feel like you know them because you spent so many hours listening to them and uh in, interacting with them where you can on social media so it's uh it's two-way street yeah well i appreciate that too so you are you're here for a reason 
right? You're on. I got a little email <laughs> from you. said uh, you let an arrow fly and uh, you got a little bit of late season success. And we're going to get into that story here in a little bit. But I want to kind of go all the way back to the beginning of the season or even this summer uh, and chit chat about, you know, what you had planned and stuff. So, you know, COVID kind of threw a wrench in everybody's system, right? And everybody's spokes and gears or whatnot and kind of had a little change of plans. And uh, we had, I had talked with you uh, before, you know, the, even the summer and you and your wife were actually planning on moving to Iowa uh, and that didn't happen um, because of the whole, you know, COVID thing. So uh, you went back exactly. to that one. You you, uh, you had to stick with your uh, home state of Kentucky there. But uh, um, were just from a deer hunting uh, uh, point of view aspect there, how mad were you when that fell through? You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm the kind of person that, you know, whatever the situation is, I, I try to really deal with it and look at the positive of it and go forward. And, uh, you know, it wasn't our first choice to, to move um, there, but, you know, it's a great opportunity. We were happy to do it. But the the, uh, the real icing on the cake for me, obviously, was going to get to hunt as a resident in Iowa. So I was super jacked about it. Um, and from that perspective, I was really disappointed that it didn't happen. Yeah. But on every other aspect beyond deer hunting, it was really good. You know, we've got family, we've lived here forever, and um, it, it worked out well from that perspective. But uh, it looks like we're going to have to put those preference points to use this year uh, <laughs> and try to and get up there as a non-resident for a week or two. Yeah, I feel you. All right, so that kind of fell through. It's, it's uh, back to business as usual in uh, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you remind us, do you run trail cameras throughout the summertime? I do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just about 20, um, 12 months a year now. I take them out when I show, uh, when I go shed hunting for a little bit and then about April, I've got them back up. Okay. So based off the end of last season and, uh, some of the information that you were gathering from your trail cameras over the summertime, uh, did you have a good stock of bucks or a good group of deer on the properties that, uh, you had access to hunt? Yeah, I've got a couple of, uh, private places that I have access to. Uh, I don't own any land, and then I do some public hunting as well. But um, to answer your question, I had a couple uh, couple of nice ones that uh, were going to be my target buck show up early on the smaller parcel, which generally uh, the, the buck I got last year is on the larger piece of private. It isn't big, but this, uh, this year I had some decent bucks showing up um, early on. And, you know, that doesn't mean they're going to be there in the fall. But, yeah, I was, I was hopeful based on what I saw early in the summer. Good deal. And did they stick around the whole summer and uh, um, call that little parcel home? Or did they disappear for a little bit, then come back, disappear? You know how it goes. Right. Um, generally speaking, on this smaller one, um, they're there right up. Uh, there's a lot of oaks, and they're there when the oaks are falling in August. And after that dries up, they're pretty much gone, except for, you know, when they look, when they circle back through during the rut. Um, so I had a couple uh, that were pretty resident out there and um, was more hopeful because the, the maturity, the age of the deer, plus the, the, the rack size was quite a bit better than what I usually uh, got to see on this place. So, yeah, they were pretty steady throughout the year. Yeah. So what is a typical year for you as far as deer quality is concerned? I really try. Um, basically, I don't hunt anything that's under three and a half. Um, and then, you know, whatever the, the rack size is, is just a bonus. But uh, generally speaking, I would think, you know, in the 120s uh, to mid 130s is you're going to be happy to see that on either one of these on either one of these places. Gotcha. So a 120, 130 class buck that's somewhere around that three and a half year old age range. Yep. That's okay. It. All right. Um, and then how often on those properties do you get something older and bigger coming through? Is it a rare occurrence or is it like once a year, something's going to come through at some point? It's pretty rare, Dan. I would say probably in the last five years on these two, on these two properties, there hasn't been maybe two that are uh, above that. Mm-hmm. So um, when, when they show up, man, it gets the heart pounding. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. So you were collecting that uh, trail camera data all the way through uh, the summertime. And then uh, by the time the season opened, did you have enough information to put like a hit list together or do you even put a hit list together? Uh, I, I do. And uh, I did have enough on this one. There was a, um, two nice three and a half, four and a half year old 10 pointers on the smaller property and one high rack. Uh, 10 pointer that was probably three or four uh, on the other property, and I would have been happy with any of those. There's a couple other, uh, there's one really nice six that was probably four or five. I would have been happy with him, but uh, that, that was basically it rolling into the season. Um, that's what I was hoping to get a shot at any one of those. Gotcha. And based off of the historical information from hunting those properties, did, does, you mentioned that, you know, when the acorns dry up, they kind of go away. Did the deer mm-hmm. that you kind of put on your hit list, did they stick around once the season uh, came around, or did they split? They uh, One of them did the high rack 10. He got out of there, and I haven't seen him, and that's pretty normal for that piece. But the other two uh, on the smaller property, they both were showing up. You know, not super regular, but, you know, once a week or so. Uh, and sometimes, you know, depending upon the, the camera location, sometimes in daylight, but enough that I knew where they were and enough that I knew that they hadn't bugged out. So that, that was, that was really encouraging. Okay. Something, something that, uh, had you hopeful anyway, right? Oh yeah. And, you know, to have one is great to have two of them, uh, was just like, okay, you know, I, I can work with this. It really, it really is something that you look forward to if you're hunting small properties. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did that small property hold the the local doe group or multiple doe groups, or what, uh, were the deer kind of coming off and going on other properties? I think they were coming on and going off because this one, I mean, I'm talking about a 20-acre spot. Okay. And out of that 20 acres, there's probably only about five of it that's huntable uh, with a, um, a creek that goes through it and woods on both sides. There's a lot of bedding to the north and um, crop fields about half a mile away. But uh, they really used that creek area and those woods as a, as a corridor and a lot of movement in there. Every once in a while, they bed real close to it in that bedding area. But I think a lot of times they were moving around between the, the fields and where the, you know, the best food was at the time. Yeah. So when did your season officially kick off? Because uh, Kentucky is a, what, uh, a September 15th state? Uh, first Saturday in September, so okay. it's either going to be the first or the seventh every year. And this year it was late. I think it was either the sixth or the seventh. So that, that's when it uh, when it starts for us here for bow season, and it runs all the way through Martin Luther King Day. Okay, so you got uh, you got a week ahead of the majority of, the, or like two weeks or three weeks more than the Midwest does uh, in certain states. But um, when did you actually start to get out? and put time in the tree stand or ground blind? Well, um, going for this, uh, these two particular bucks, um, with a small property, as you can imagine, your access is going to be a little bit more limited um, based on wind direction. And this, uh, the way this, this area where the, the deer were moving kind of runs um, east to west. And the property access that I had, the vast majority of the property is south of that. So I'm kind of limited, you know, we love our, our north winds, right? I mean, that's generally a lot of times is a really good wind for us. And you can't really, it's really tough to hunt a north wind there. So even though the season started early, I was really, really reticent to go in on them uh, unless I had the wind perfect. Okay. So, so I, you I really had to be... the first couple of weeks. Yeah. So you really have, and I talked to a lot of guys who hunt, uh, smaller properties and it's just like man i'd love to go out and hunt every single day but i just can't i i have to you have to play off and you go hunt somewhere else or yeah you really do have to wait for the right conditions because it's not like i have a i have a smaller property that i have access to um it is like it's 40 acres but it's a narrow 40 acres and it's Mm -hmm. surrounded by um people that don't allow hunting Right. So the wind shifts and you can't walk around like you can on some of these bigger acreages. I mean, like my main farm is like, uh, 
a combined 1100 acres right through all the different property owners and if if i wanted to i just flank that one area loop all the way around through all this you know through multiple properties and get down in there here you can't sure. so it sounds like that's what you're kind of dealing with uh, where you're at yeah i uh you know i've learned over the years um uh, through you know listening to, to you and others and just through experience uh, it, it, it's just the window is too small to spook them out yeah. and uh you know they may recover they may come back but when you work when you're running a small place like that you hit the nail on the head i'll go I'll go to another spot or I'll go hunt public, but I'm only going to go in on that when it's just right or an off wind, uh, just a barely off wind. Because I think, I believe I may have, you know, four or five good hunts in there in a season without really spooking the deer. Um, well, you know, I just don't want to take that chance. So I, I just do not over hunt it. Gotcha. So uh, in September, did you even hunt that property at all? I don't think I got in there until the first week of October. Okay, first week of October. First time. All right. Mm -hmm. So in that first week of October, uh, you walk in there for the first time. Um, Did you have any information off trail cameras? What did you see when you went in there? Yeah, I uh, I run uh, I run wireless trail cameras, and um, I probably out there. I think I have two of them. Uh, Sometimes I'll have three. So I try to really, even though it's small, I want to get a good idea of where their movement is. And uh, I look at that based on wind at the time so I can get an idea of where they're bedded. And uh, I've got a pretty good idea on that. So I try to have as much information as I can, obviously, before I go in, since it is such a small property. Uh, I do remember, though, I did go one time a little bit before October. I did a uh, just basically an observation set way off. I mean, I took my bow, but the likelihood of them coming through there was not much because I wanted to see if I could get an eye on the movement. The first time I really actively hunted it was probably the first week of October. Okay. So what did you see on that first week when you went in and, and started hunting it? Um, so I didn't see either one of the target bucks, but I did see uh, does hitting the, uh, hitting the acorns. Uh, there's a field, just an open field on one side of the, uh, on the property side that I go into that there's a ton of oaks that border it, and then it falls down into that creek area. Then on the other side, there's a bench um, above it, and then a little bit farther out on the other side, there's a lot of uh, bedding. So I watched them uh, where they moved from, and I had a pretty good idea before that, but it, to me, it's just better to see it. Right. Uh, and then were your trail cameras telling you anything? Were the bucks still in the area? Yeah, yeah. I, was, I wasn't I was seeing a consistent daylight movement. Uh, but I knew I had a, uh, the first time that I went in that uh, we had a pretty good drop in temperature and, uh, good barometric pressure, you know, just the kind of day that you like in, in early October. And, uh, that's what made me go in. Okay. And those weather conditions led you to make that decision to go in. You didn't see anything. Um, but were, were the bucks, the bucks were still there. They were a bit nocturnal, but you were hoping that the weather pattern got them on their feet and were getting up to to make, get some movement. Yeah, okay. exactly. And uh, that that's that's what it was like on the first on the first sit in October. Gotcha. All right. And then how? I guess, I guess the consistency of you hunting that property uh, was were you mm-hmm. doing it every week from there on out, or did you? Uh, you know, come in when the wind direction was good, or did you say, "Hey, man, I got to really wait for the rut"? I I, uh, I didn't hunt it a lot during the rut. I go down to Texas every year. A buddy of mine's got a place down there, and uh, I, the the best time I think like the fourteenth. I was down there from like the seventh to the fourteenth. So uh, I hunted it uh, a total of five times um, this season between uh, the opening and December nineteenth. Okay, so. You ended up so so the rut. Did you hunt early in November in Kentucky, or did you just kind of dedicate November to Texas? No, no, I, I hunted. I hunted there too. Okay, um, definitely. I was starting to see. I was starting to see a little bit more consistency on these guys, so I was getting out there when the condition was right. All right. So throughout October, throughout early November, but you know before you went on your uh, um, Texas hunt. 
what was uh, what were those bucks doing? Were they still bachelored up and kind of working together, or were they following the does, or were they just random? It was a little random. I saw a couple of them bachelored up, which I was surprised. Uh, one of the uh, one of the two target bucks. He was he was with a a, a younger buck. Uh, in fact, the first week of November, which kind of surprised me. They were kind of running through. And uh, on one set, he was out of bow range, but uh, I got to see him then. And um, yeah, they just they, they apart from that instance, they were all pretty single at that point. Those that that's the only time I saw two of them together. Gotcha. All right. Um, and then any close calls or you know any uh, encounters with <laughs> these bucks uh, during during that oh, November yeah. time frame? Oh yeah, yeah. I had uh, close uh, a number of them. The uh, October, the October set, uh, I had a, a tree down in the creek, down in the little uh, creek bed. Um, and as I was sitting there, I had pictures from the, a camera right there of the, the target bucks coming through that particular area. And it was a southwest wind uh, that I had that day, which worked out perfect. Um, but basically, one another buck came in, uh, probably a three or four-year-old eight-point. And he came in, and he was snorting, which was, was really crazy for early October. I don't see that a lot. You know, he was, he was kind of rutted up action. And as he, I saw him coming in, that he came in just like I wanted him to down the creek line. But then I looked up, and my target buck had come up on the field side up above me and was working down towards these oaks, and he winded me. He and three other deer, and they ran off, and I'm like, oh, great. You know, here we are, we're first week of October, and I've already blown this out. So I was pretty disheartened with that set. Yeah. And so you, you had an encounter. Was it uh, with the deer that you ended up shooting or with a different buck? It was the same. It was the one I ended up shooting, yeah. Okay. All right. So that was in October. Any other encounters with that same buck through throughout the, the season, you know, before – before you left for Texas and if so were you starting to get an idea of this deer's pattern uh, I had him a lot on trail camera uh, before I, um, before November 14th but I didn't uh, didn't have the conditions right to get out there on him. Uh, it was about a week after uh, that first time when he when he winded me that I saw him again on camera. So I was really happy about that. Obviously I you know, didn't want to blow him completely out of there. I don't know what your experience is, but a lot of times if they see you, it's one thing in my opinion, but if they see you and smell you, you know, a lot of times that can, that can run them out for a while. Yeah. And he definitely got a whiff of me. Uh, and I was real happy to see him on there again, but I wasn't able to get out and go after him until I got back uh, around the 15th. Uh, you got back for, uh, from Texas on November 15th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll tell you, um, one thing that I've noticed is, you know, if they hear you, you know, if they hear something they don't like, you, you could be okay. You're, you're not going to blow them out of the area. If they smell mm-hmm. you, they're going to run away. If they see you, they're going to run away. But if they smell you and see you game over, like, don't expect yeah. that deer to be back. It's almost like if you trigger two of their senses, then you're it's over, right? I agree. Not so, I agree. not so much not so so much hearing, and it, a lot of it depends on what time of year it is too, right? Because it's, if it's October, and this is just my experience, if it's October uh, and there's no deer really in estrus or anything going on, no breeding is going on yet, and they're still they're not dumb yet. Right. They're still, you know, wound tight, wound tight. They're they're all their senses, but if they're dumb, you know, all horned up with a rut, you might be able to get away with a little bit, but it's almost the same thing with does, man. Like if you, if, if a doe sees you or smells you and they can't figure out what's going on, it's over. Like they'll just sit there and blow and blow and blow and blow. However, (laughs) I'll tell you this, this year was unique because I put myself in some really crazy positions this year to where I was letting, um, you know, deer walk through a, um, a shooting lane 
and then they would be downwind of me and then they would smell me, but they, they typically couldn't see me cause I was behind the tree and I'd play real calm and they'd stop and they'd stop and they'd stop. And then they would start to blow, right? Some of these deer would, would blow if they, you know, caught a, a, a whiff of the ozonics and some of them just kept walking right, right, right by. Um, but you know, most of the time they just would catch the, catch the ozonics and then they'd walk by. But sometimes if the wind was shifty in the air and, uh, you know, the ozonics, the wind wasn't consistent. So the ozonics, you know, everything was kind of blowing around every once in a while, I'd get a doe who would just get too close and then maybe she would catch my ground scent or something like that too. And, and blow and blow and blow and then work their way off. And then here comes another buck into the, the bedding area. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you want to you want to say, oh man, uh, if they see you and smell you, they're you know they're gone. Or if another deer blows, they're gone. But that really wasn't the case. It's almost like ah, you know, old Nancy, she's just complaining about something. You know, we're gonna let her go. Yeah. You know? And then they, it's I I used to think and how I was how I was introduced to deer hunting was if a doe blows, that is a signal to not come in this area because there's danger in the area and that that might be the case for that doe group but the bucks almost ignored it it seemed like yeah i mean it's um if you think about it because i was the same way you know for years when i first started that the common the common statement was if you know a doe blows at you you know your hunt's over but i've had the same experience and uh, one guy i forget who it was i was reading or listening to basically said, you know, think about it. Does are out there that are going to blow at coyotes. Mm-hmm. I've seen does blow at other, at other does. Oh, I've yeah. seen does blow at, at, at bucks. So to think that any deer that hears that is going to extrapolate, oh, that means there's a guy in a stand. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I think it puts deer on alert. You know, I think that's a given. I think deer will be on alert when they hear another deer blow, but I don't think they just all immediately run a, a half mile the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. And another uh, unique thing I, I saw this year was if a doe was being chased by a buck, maybe she wasn't ready to breed yet, or maybe she just mm-hmm. didn't want to breed that buck, right? Maybe there was a dominant buck in the area and she'd rather breed him. I don't know. You know, maybe that's the way it works. Maybe it doesn't. But I remember watching a doe blow at this two-year-old real this this junk rack two-year-old who was chasing this doe through you know she was a a mature doe chasing her through this bedding area and she was blowing trying to get him to spook and go away and i've never seen that before Uh, you know uh just almost like crying wolf if that makes sense yeah so yeah strategic about it yeah absolutely all right so uh so that we got off course there a little bit but you, you <laughs> it's all good how, how did texas go real quick oh it was too hot too hot and, uh, that seems to be about one out of every three years you know you get down there i was in south texas i was about an hour and a half north of dallas uh monte county and uh just just suppressed now there runs a little bit later than ours my buddy that's had this place for about 10 years, he swears. And I mean, I've seen it. Thanksgiving is really when they're going crazy. So I was down there a little bit early this year, but that's just the way the schedule worked for me to be able to get down there. But, uh, did the obligatory hog control. They won't let you leave uh, Texas as a deer hunter unless you take out <laughs> at least one hog. So got a few of them down, but uh, no deer left. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What do you, what do people in Texas consider hot? Because I went down there, um, for this, this media hunt a couple years ago and it was hot. Like it was hot, hot. And I was down around the San Antonio area. Um, I think Southwest of that. And it was hot all day, all night, like hot. And then not, not real humid. Like it was in, Mm -hmm. uh, like it gets in Iowa, but still, nonetheless, it was really hot. Uh, what was the temperatures during the hunting season down there? Uh, we had a lot of days uh, in the high 70s, which I don't think the temperature itself is the issue. I think it's what's the temperature versus the, the average temperature. Mm-hmm. So if it's 10 degrees above average 
that depresses deer movement, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, whether that average is 70, 60, 50, you know, or where you are even lower for that particular time, obviously. But if it's above average, uh, it tends to just depress the, the movement, to at least daylight movement, in my experience. Yeah. So it was about running 10, 15 degrees above average uh, for that particular time. And, uh, we just, I mean, even on cameras, and we just didn't see much at all. Gotcha. All right. So you get back from Texas. And do uh, you instantly get back in the tree on that farm? Uh, first, yeah, the first opportunity that I had where uh, the, the weather was right, I was in there. And uh, I switched positions from that one particular spot that I was in down in the creek and moved up on uh, up above the creek in a little pinch point where a lot of times they'll come between the creek and the field uh, to head out into those to those acorns. So I'd had, I'd had success there before a few years back and I switched the camera up and I was seeing some movement starting coming through there. So I decided to set up there uh, from that point forward. Gotcha. Was least, there, it makes sense. Yeah. Was there any point while you're in Texas while you, you know, cause you got the cell cams and uh, <laughs> was there any point while you were in Texas, you were getting images of your shooters on camera in daylight? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I was like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm double screwed here. Here it's hot as hell and we're not seeing anything. And they're moving like crazy. You know, the reps are full-blown going on from the 7th to the 14th here. And, uh, yeah, I felt like I'd really screwed the piece. <laughs> i tell you, that, <laughs> that, can, that can almost change a guy's uh, mood. Because I had a couple. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a couple uh, times where I decided, you know what? I'm not going to hunt early season or early or mid-October. I'm just going to wait. Um, I wait till November. That way I can, you know, collect my brownie points here at home. And then what do you know? Mm-hmm. Ping. Oh, let's. Okay, let me just check what this is. <laughs> oh, shooter. Oh, shooter right in front of me at, on my trail camera. Like, ah, <laughs> uh, damn. Like, I shouldn't. Uh, uh, I shouldn't even check my my cell phone camera while I'm at home. I should like go to another or like wait till I'm in bed or wait a couple days or whatever because it can it can be depressing. Oh, and, and not to mention, you know, your, your wife's not super happy with you looking at her. Oh, is that your cell camera going off again? <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I guess that means you're going out tomorrow. No, no, the wind's no. not right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. all these conversations are just amplified because of it. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like it's her fault that you're not in the tree stand, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, you get back from Texas, you start you start hunting, and uh, the first couple hunts back on the farm, did you see any good movement? Did you have any encounters with these deer? Yeah, I did. Uh, the very first hunt that I after I got back from Texas, I was on the opposite side of that creek in that bench uh, area. It's probably about. 150 yards in a, a nice bench area between there and there's a line of line of trees it's real thick and then on the other side's bedding so um i set up up there and um had a had a really nice uh, one of the two a really nice pin with a bunch of kickers on him and he just didn't come down that's the time when i saw him with the uh other buck and i was really surprised you know in uh, that late november to be able to see them hanging out together but uh was really super super happy to see him so i started thinking you know i may have a shot here at least he's not gone because a lot of times after the rut those deer are all gone right so so when we when you talk about an encounter how many of these encounters were within shooting range uh with the one that i ended up killing i had four four okay so four encounters yeah Yeah. doesn't speak well of me we'll get to that in the future well that's uh (laughs) that's frustrating that might be yeah. one of the f- most frustrating parts about being a bow hunter is having a deer close enough to shoot, but not having a, sh- a shot, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, it, it more than makes sense. Uh, yeah. That's exactly what happened for me. Yeah. One of the big, one of the biggest deer, I'm going to say he's over one. He was at the time he was over 170 and he was at 10, mm. 10 yards. I, he came into me straight. And then he started angling off yep. behind some bushes, and then he and he finally stopped at ten yards, but it was just his back half. And then the wind yep. swirled, and he was gone. So uh, that that sucked. And I have, I've had a couple other encounters throughout the year uh, when they 
came in real fast and then they stopped right underneath like right underneath my tree stand and then they took off again and uh yeah. those uh those uh, those get frustrating because you're always second guessing yourself right you're always going man what did i do wrong what did i do wrong and sometimes you just can't help it so you had you had a couple of those encounters when did when did you get like, did you ever get real close to this deer to where you were drawn back or did he just kind of disappear from, from the farm? No, no, I had, uh, before I killed him, I had three opportunities, um, at, at 20 and under, uh, the first one, it was exactly like you were talking about. Uh, he came in directly facing me the whole time. I kept thinking, okay, here we go. I mean, he's within, you know, 18, 20 yards and he's facing me. And, you know, it's like every other time, uh, he's going to turn broadside. You know, he's going to move. He's not just going to sit there and feed on these acorns looking, you know, straight at me. And the entire time for about two minutes, he sat there and I had the wind right. The wind wasn't a problem. And then another deer came in, got between me and him and he turned and took off to the left and I didn't have a shot just did not have a shot at him. There was some, uh, the shooting lane was pretty much in front of me. There was a little bit of an opening on the, on the left that I had to shoot through some branches, but he didn't come through that lane and he was just gone. I couldn't believe it. You know, he was right there. I mean, if I had a rock with me, I could hit him in the head, you know? Yeah. So when does, when does Kentucky's gun season kick in? Uh, our gun season runs from, I don't hunt it, so I'm, I may be off on this, but it's three weekends and the two weeks between, and it generally starts about the 14th. So this might have been gun season this first in, in this particular instance. Okay. In fact, it was. I know it was because I had a orange on. Yeah. Okay. So were, were can you bow hunt during the gun season, or did you have a gun with you at that time? No, no. Uh, you can bow hunt here throughout the gun seasons. You can bow hunt from uh, first to uh, from September all the way to Martin Luther King Day, whether it's muzzleloader also or firearms or, or, or youth season, you can uh, archery hunt all the way through. Gotcha. All right. So now you're starting to get a little deeper into November. Um, how mm-hmm. many more encounters uh, did you have with this buck? Uh, and was he still consistently on the property? Or were you kind of starting to get worried that he's going to leave and go search someplace else and get shot by somebody else, or were you still kind of confident that he was going to stick around? I was worried not so much he'd get shot by somebody else because the only other neighbor that hunts only hunts gun season. And after that, I think that was the encounter during gun season. He doesn't hunt muzzleloader and he doesn't uh, he doesn't hunt archery. So after he made it through that, unless he you know went off somewhere pretty far, I wasn't too concerned. But um, you know, you're always concerned. I mean, if you put him down, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, if hit by a car, find him to the food source. I mean, this is a small property, so so it would be overconfident, I think, just to, to believe, yeah, he, he's here. He's not going to go anywhere. Right. So with that said, was he still showing up on your cell cams on a regular basis? Pretty regularly, probably once to twice a week. Okay. Once or twice a week, I'd see him. All right. And uh, enough that I, I felt that he was still in the area for sure. Okay. All right. All right. So uh, when was the next encounter with him? The next encounter was probably about a week later, and this time it was perfect. I mean, he came in. There was a small uh, button buck uh, that came in uh, with him, and he was sideways, you know, perfectly broadside. The other button buck was kind of moving around, but he wasn't really going to be a problem. He was kind of behind him. And I'm like, okay, thank God I've seen him again. Here he is. This is exactly what I want. And I hunt the saddle. And so I was kind of had the tree between me and him, and I was over to the side. So I swing out just a little bit to the left. Uh, he's probably 17, 18 yards, and it's a chip shot. And I get my bow off of the uh, off of the bow hanger. And they're close enough, and there's two of them, so I'm being really careful and, you know, letting them see me uh, draw back. And I get set up and take the bow off, and I'm drawing back, and as I draw back, 
stupid, stupid rookie mistake. I hit the bow hanger with my bow. Clean. And they both look up at me, and we've got the, you know, 90 seconds. It feels like an hour death stare, and nobody moves. And then skedaddles off to the left, and I'm like, well, you did it this time, man. You know, you had everything you wanted. It's right there in front of you. And, I mean, everybody's made a million mistakes, right? right. That was the first time I'd made that one. And I was just, I was just blown out. Oh, I'm like, my, my God, I'm the, dumb, I'm the dumbest guy on the planet. Right. <laughs> You've got one thing to do. <laughs> right. It's almost like, <laughs> hey, Dan, can you edit that out? I don't want anybody to know I did that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe I'll, there's hope for the hopeless. Though, right? right. I mean, that, that, that's it. And uh, I, I tell you what I have changed off of that, though, is I hunt, like I said, I do a lot of public hunting, and you can't screw anything in. Um, in our public areas here. So I use a, uh, a strap that I put a clip on to hang my bow from. Yep. And I just told myself, there's never going to be another metal bow hanger in my life. <laughs> you know, right. I can, I, that's a mistake I can edit out. So I'll manage that away. And uh, fortunately, uh, the story had a good ending but at that time. I didn't know it was going to. Yeah. All right. So two things out of that encounter. I cannot believe that those two bucks... <laughs> Uh, had stuck together that long throughout the entire season. Yeah, now this is a different one. This is, oh, this a, is different a, one. A, a different buck. Yeah, and I don't know that they really came up. They, they came up about the same time. You know, they were both moving through. But I never saw that little button buck with him before that or, or after that. Oh, okay. He was just kind of feeding those in that acorns there with him at the same time. I got you. All right, that makes a little more sense. I, I, I I thought yeah. these deer were running together the whole time because typically, uh, you know, the the more mature deer out of any group just doesn't tolerate that. Exactly. Yeah, and I was surprised this guy didn't try to run him off or anything. He was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen them run off does before. You know, after the rut and everything, they'd, they'd be on food and he'd come and blow them all out and start eating. But well, uh, yeah, that 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 was unusual. Um, what when was this? What time of year was this? Now, uh, when you. When was that? This encounter? is late. This is late November. Okay, so late November, and, and so now we're starting to get past this breeding, right? So things are kind mm-hmm. of calming down, and food is starting to, you know, be uh, more prevalent again. But still, some some breeding. Were you still seeing any chasing at this time? No, no, I wasn't seeing any chasing. I take that back. I, oh, you'd see a young buck, you know, chasing around some does, but right. the mature guys weren't even paying any attention to them. Gotcha. All right. So with that said, then, uh, when was the next encounter with this deer? Well, the next encounter was about probably two weeks after that. Okay. So now we're into December. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Early December. And, uh, I got out there and he, he saw me, but back to our uh, initial conversation, he didn't win me. I had to win perfect. He knew there was something up there. Uh, and I didn't move after I banged that thing. So he just kind of ran off. He knew something wasn't right. So I didn't feel like he busted me in the sense that he got me wind of me and identified what I was. And he was still coming into the same area. So I went back into the same spot, same tree. It's a a really big oak tree, uh, probably about a couple, couple of three feet around, good size one. And, uh, got up there and bingo, here he comes. Another good, good wind. Uh, perfect setup. Same trail? Probably about 530. I'm sorry? Same trail? Yeah, same trail, same spot. I okay. mean, this guy was just kind of a creature of habit. And, and that's where a lot of the food was. Yeah. Know, obviously, that's what was driving. So he comes in, and again, no no angle. You know, he's it's like you were talking about earlier. His back's to me. He's not turning. He came up from the side and turned his back to me with the tree between me and him before I could get around on him. And as, as I, I think I mentioned earlier, in, a dis, in this spot, I've got a really good shot right where he is. But if he moves off to my left, there's another window, another shooting lane that probably has about, I'd say, a 24-inch hole through branches where I can hit him if he stops in this one area. And then a lot of times they would stop there. So never gives me a shot right in front of me moves off to the left, gets in that shooting lane, stops, draw back, let it fly, and I hit a branch. Lee. (laughs) (laughs) 
What Not to Do by Tom Waters. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous. Right. Errol goes underneath him. Errol goes underneath him. He kind of skips a little bit. He doesn't know what the heck happened. He's right. back that way. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'll ever see this guy again. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he sit here. Uh, he has never smelled me since early October, but he's just got to know that this area is horrible. Yeah, two, th- two times, same tree. Up. Yeah. Yeah, same tree. Yeah. Same tree, different, different shot. And, uh, you know, just barely caught it. And I looked at it, and it was about dusk. And then the next day when I was, the next time when I hunted it, I looked at it and saw where I'd hit it. I mean, I knew I'd hit something, but it yeah. was dark enough that I couldn't really see that one small branch. Yeah. So there I go. I mean, I, this guy's giving me three chances now. Yeah. And um, I got nothing. Quick question. You mentioned the saddle and how you had to spin around on them and do, yep. you know, you know, make some moves in your saddle. Do you feel mm-hmm. that if you were in a tree stand that some of these shots would have been easier to perform? Um, not this one because I've shot, I, I've, I've hunted that same tree from a, from a tree stand in the past and not really because I, I just, I don't think so. I'd, it wasn't the saddle that was causing me the problem. All the saddle did really is just give me something to hide behind. And then I just moved a little bit to my left for both of those shots. So I wasn't like hanging out far or having to adjust a tether or anything. Gotcha. I just flat. Yeah. I just flat missed that shot because of the hitting the branch and just didn't see the branch. Right. It's not like all that movement. He pegged you in the tree and no, no. Yeah. No. Okay. And this tree, the nice thing, the tree is big enough. I mean, I could do all my moving behind it. And all he would see if he saw anything is just my head. Yeah. Because I was completely behind this thing. But yeah. no, I mean I, I know what you're talking about. If you're in a thin a thin tree, you gotta watch out because you can you know, if you're in a narrow uh, narrow trunk, you can move it a lot, uh, in a saddle. Yeah. But uh, I guess you can do that in a stand too. But uh, that wasn't the case here, thankfully. Gotcha. All right. So so you uh <laughs> two two strikes on this buck yep. obviously the dude's coming back uh you know because you you killed him so after after you hit the branch and missed him what happened next i mean did he disappear for a while or did he just stick to that same he's like well i ain't dead so i might as well just stick to the same routine no no it was about 10 days of um 10 to, probably 10 to 15 days 10 days to two weeks in that range before I got a picture of him again because I thought I'd really done it at that point. I didn't yeah. think it was because he winded me. I just think it was because, you know, he thought, you know, there's just too much crap going on here. This doesn't feel right. Yeah. And uh, did not see him uh, at least 10 days. I think it was closer to two weeks, but at least 10 days. And then uh, around the uh, probably the 15th to 17th, I got a, uh, I started getting pictures of him. Or I got a picture of him again at that spot. I'd still get pictures of him in other areas. Uh, on the farm, but he ventured back up to that place to feed. And um, I was like, okay, well, you know, if he, if he ain't giving up, I ain't. So, yeah. And back in on so it's almost like he said, I, I got to get out of here, this place. I'm feeling a little antsy. But then it just seems like he fell back into the same routine. Yeah. And we had a really, really good cold front uh, come through. And there's just there's still just a lot of acorns in that little oak flat right there, and um, there's not a ton of deer back there, but there's enough oaks for the ones that do stay there. Where you know, I, I bet there's still oaks on the ground right now. Uh, yeah, still acorns on the ground right now. So a really good a lot of dead oaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, what's what happened next, man? Well, this is on the 19th, which I think is a Saturday. Uh, it's either a Friday or Saturday. And uh, weather looked good, and uh, I just said, you know what, I've got pictures of him, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. And there wasn't a better place to set up on him. I could get closer to his bedding, but the way the wind works in that particular area, I really didn't have a better tree. So I'm like, you know, maybe he'll screw up one more time. Uh, that's what I'm hoping. And uh, I got into the tree probably about 2.30 and um, set everything up, got mosonics on, and uh, about a four-pointer came from my left and the wind was blowing uh, pretty much dead at me i'm facing uh facing south um and the wind's coming from the south southwest 
And the four-pointer comes from an area that's not really where I expect him off to my left. And he comes, and he's a little bit above me where he's catching a little bit of my wind. And I had the ozonics on, so he didn't really spook or anything, but he's just nervous. So I don't know if he's catching my wind or, like you said, the ozonics. Sometimes I'll get a little bit buggy. Uh, But he walked around like he was going to come into the food source from behind, which I haven't had any bucks do since I've I've, uh, hunted out there. They all come up from the the creek area. So he came in and kind of got spooky and then went back down to the other side of the creek and, and never came in fed there. And I'm thinking, oh, great. If this other one, my target bucks come the same way, it's going to be the same issue. And about 3.45, 4 o'clock, I look up, and there this uh, this nice one is, the one I've been hunting, the one I've missed, the one I've been chasing all year. And he comes up the um, same way that he always does, kind of from the right, set around uh, 8 for about a minute. He never really gave me a shot. Again, he's facing me at this point. And he starts heading off to the left, and he comes through that same, that same uh, shooting lane where I'd hit the... Uh, hit the branch the last time and slowed down, stopped, uh, uh, bleeded and stopped him, sat there and uh, got a great shot on him, hit him right in the wheelhouse. Mule kicks, heads down the creek, goes down the creek, goes up the other side, up, above, up on top of the bench, and I see him struggle, fall over, and I get to see him go down. That's awesome. So I'm just like, oh, oh my God. It was, you know, above and beyond just killing the buck was just the culmination of all that frustration for the entire year, all the screw-ups that I'd had, all the close encounters, the times I couldn't make it right, the times when I could and I screwed it up. It just felt fantastic. It was yeah. just amazing. Yeah. And I bet you the chair, like, that would be great if it was just really any buck, right? I mean, but this was the same buck all four times that you had, you know, all these yeah. different encounters with. You had trail camera pictures pictures of them and then you actually get the job done on that same buck um i've had years like that where i've had encounters with all these different deer you know i've had some close calls never really um and and never sealed the deal on them and then eventually shot one later but it was never those encounters all with the same buck if that makes sense yeah no it and it it just you know it heightens it, it yeah it just really you know we always talk about the chess match but when you really narrow it down and it's one buck and you've had you know i was just blessed to have these opportunities and this, this was kind of a neat year uh for me as well because i mentored uh a couple of guys and uh you know we're exchanging pictures and experiences and everything and throughout this whole thing you know these guys are looking at me you know, and it's like that old joke about the two guys in the forest and the, and the bear, right? You know, you don't have to be faster because the bear, you just got to be faster than the other guy. So, so these guys, you know, they're new. So going through that with them was a lot of fun. So I had them, uh, they both came out uh, for the uh, for the recovery and got to share in that and just, you know, culmination of, the, of a long season. Yeah. You know, not giving up. You know, a lot of guys, after the rut, it's kind of like, yeah, whatever, I'll start doing some waterfowl hunting or you know, I'm done. Uh, just be uh, sticking to it and not overhunting the area. Being smart, not pressuring it more than I had to to get it done. It just really felt rewarding this year. It really, really did. Yeah. Well, Tom, congratulations, man, on a beautiful deer. And uh, just so just so everybody knows, describe describe this deer. What do you think? Uh, what do you think he scored? How many points? What do you think he was for an age? Well, he was a 10, uh, and then on the picture, I think I sent you a picture, he broke his brow time off during the rut. So that kind of whatever the score was going to be, I'm yeah. sure that's going to deduct it quite a bit. But I'd say he's probably uh, mid-140s. Okay. I mean, I, that's my guess. Yep. Before the brow time broke off, I don't know, don't know what he is now. Yeah. But uh, he's just a really good representative uh, buck for this area. I mean, he's somebody that, uh, he, he's one that you need you'd be excited to see. Yeah. It's not every day you're going to see one like that in this, in this small area. So yeah. I was proud of him. Um, yeah. It meets in the freezer and uh, that's the best part. We're enjoying that as we speak. Yeah. So you got the, you know, you got the kill, but man, I just, to me, when I hear stories like this, and this is why I get so frustrated with the hunting industries, because you typically don't get to hear the story 
the, the story like that. You, you get to, oh, hey, he's a 145 class, and he was this old, and then he is done. And that's it. That's really all you hear. Yeah. But the cool thing about yeah. this was the hunter, you, your persistence going after this deer, sticking with it, grinding it out, and you got the job done long after most people would say, well, rut's over, I'm done hunting, right? You just mm -hmm. kept going and kept going and kept going, and you got the job done. And, man, I appreciate people like that, and I like the stories. Uh, I like those stories. So congrats, man. I appreciate it, Dan. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Just want to say thanks to Tom for hopping on the podcast and sharing his story with us. I want to say thanks to all of the companies that support this po podcast. Vortex Optics, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Tree Stands, and the Average Conservationist. Guys, all of those companies, like I mentioned in the intro, um, have good people who work for them. They're awesome products, and uh, I, I use them every single day, and I interact with these people um, throughout the year. So just uh, good companies, good brands, uh, and please go out and support them. Other than that, uh, Instagram, Facebook, keep an eye out on the uh, the YouTube channel for the Nine Finger Kitchen coming. I'm going to have to say sometime in mid-February, if I had to guess. Other than that, follow along subscribe be safe the seasons are kind of winding down throughout most of the united states now i mean there in some places there's probably another month left maybe you know down south there's in some of the east coast states there, there might be so, about a month left iowa is done some of the other states uh, surrounding iowa are done but to get out there finish strong and uh man be safe and we'll talk to you next time Thank you.